Impact leadership. What does it mean to wake up each day knowing your work, effort, and passion is being transformed into creating change that makes a difference in your business, organization, community, and your own life experience? And it can be hard to stay on track when at times the winds do not blow in your direction. But you persevere one step forward at a time, creating something better. This is fulfillment in action. And this is passion for impact. Educating, empowering, and elevating social consciousness in people, business, and teams. One inspiring conversation at a time. Passion for Impact is brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change, and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. This is the Passion for Impact podcast with speaker, trainer, and socially conscious advocate, Trisha Miltimore. You know, one of the best parts of hosting Passion for Impact is I get to have pre-interview chats with guests to get a feel for our chemistry and check in on the topics that will matter most to each person. Well, Julie said one sentence to me and I was instantly thinking, this is going to be a great conversation. I'm talking upbeat, real, raw, open, and fun. These are words that describe how I felt about this woman after one short conversation. So I cannot wait to dig into her passion for impact story and, of course, all the wisdom that comes along with it. But first, some background. Cole is a recovered lawyer, mom of six, and co-founder of Mabel's Labels. I'm sure you've heard of it. She has helped her company bring their product to a worldwide market, gain media recognition, and win countless entrepreneur awards. Cole is a best-selling author. We'll talk about her book, regular television contributor, a sought-after speaker and MC. She is here today sharing her energy and love with all of us, and I am very excited. So thank you, Julie, for joining oh, in on Passion for Impact. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, you have quite the uh, intro bio. It's short, but man, that's jam-packed and, and powerful. <laughs> I was bugging you in our first call there. I'm like, oh man, you have six? I mean, I have four, which, you know, is not the most common, but six. Wow. I mean. Yeah, I think you said that you only had four. And I think I said, <laughs> I don't think you can ever put only in front of the word four when it comes to children. <laughs> it's such a matter of perspective, right? It's such a matter of I don't even think you can put only in front of one. Like, that that is true. Yeah. I can only imagine, actually, you know, I always think back to, you know, when you first start having kids and how traumatic that first one was. And for anyone who's pregnant and about to have a child, it is beautiful and amazing. And it is going to change your lives in countless amazing ways. But I remember sitting on my couch nursing and I called my mom and I was crying. I'm like, is this my life? Is this all I'm going to ever do? (laughs) It's pretty wild. I remember that first one too. You come home and then I looked at him. I'm like, so you're not going to leave. Like you're just now here. And now, you know, that one's 22. And guess what? They do leave. They do. They okay, do. There's I have three away at university now and only three at home. So they do take off and it does um, come quickly. It, and you know, that's the thing it does. And that's part of the conversation I would love to have today. I mean, there's so we could talk for hours. There's so many um, arenas of thought Uh, leadership we could talk about. But, you know, in Passion for Impact, there's a lot of people listening who have passion, who want to create something that does good, whether it's through business, perhaps organization of some sort. 
and they just don't know where to start. Um, and hearing a story like yours, where you have a busy family and you've created this business, if we could go back to the beginning where Mabel's Label started and kind of give some context about where you were in your life in terms of family and all, all those variables, yeah. um, I would love to be kind of guided through the process of how did this come to be? Right, right. Okay, well, yes, it came to be for a couple of reasons, really. Um, as you mentioned, I'm a recovered lawyer. Um, but uh, at the time, now this is, gosh, we're coming up to 20 years ago when we were, you know, we were coming, like the concept was out. Um, there were two reasons why Mabel's Label started. One was that at the time, um, I, along with my co-founders, we had small children and we were losing stuff and we were using you know, masking tape and permit marker and it was you know, not really doing the job. Um, so we thought there must be a great product out there that's dishwasher microwave safe so that we can label our kids bottles and sippy cups and all that jazz and it'll come home from daycare or playgroups or wherever we are. So there wasn't. So the first reason was uh, wanting to fill, to fill a gap in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Now the second reason, and this is where the kids come in, is that at that time, my eldest child had just turned three and he already had two younger siblings. So it was, it was busy. And he got diagnosed with autism. And I knew that at that point, all the research I did showed me that I really wanted to commit to his early intervention. So I didn't think the traditional workforce was going to suit my, my needs. I wanted to be able to advocate for him, set him up with an amazing uh, program uh, for early intervention. So at that time, that's when I went to my girls. I'm like, hey, you know, we had that idea about the label company. Um, what do you think? And there was no turning back. That was the start of it. And uh, yeah, we've been happily making labels ever since. So you're you are in a situation of three kids under the age of three, which is mind boggling. Nice. And I bow to you, um, you know, uh, diagnosis of autism, wanting to be there for early uh, intervention. So just really needing to be be there and be around. And obviously, I guess the lawyer lifestyle maybe doesn't really support that. Right. I of... think often the traditional workforce doesn't support that. Mm, right. I mean, especially in those days, like that's 18 years ago. And it's funny because as we created Mabel's Labels and we created, I mean, we had the unique opportunity to create a workspace based on our core values and the kind of work culture that we we wanted so mm -hmm. we always remained flexible and you know so when when COVID happened and all these companies were panicking about how are our people going to work remotely we don't have the software they don't have the tools they don't know how to our people were like oh so same same right <laughs> yeah you know? uh, so when you when you started like how did you start you had an idea you're going to create labels right. so how did you grow that into a functioning profitable business Right. So, um, so yeah, initially it was the concept. Okay. And then it's like, okay, well we have to do, we have to do our research. We have, the thing was we knew our market cause we were a market. We're like, we're moms. We know what we want. We want super cute, highly personalized. It's gotta be durable. The secret sauce is it's gotta do what it say it's gonna do. Like it's gonna go through the dishwasher. It's gonna go through the microwave. It's gonna be UV resistant. It's gonna do all the things Then you know, roll out the clothing labels. They have to go through washers and dryers and that sort of thing. So, um, and this was the nice thing about having four partners at the time. It can be, four co-founders can be a lot, lot because you got a lot of personalities and you got lots mm -hmm. of feisty conversation around that boardroom table lots of opinions, all that jazz. But in those early days, it really allowed us to divide and conquer. So, you know, one person could like research equipment, one person could be talking to the bank, one person. So that I think really contributed to our early, early growth because we had, you know, four different brains 
for different skill sets and, and the time of like, if I had been a solo entrepreneur, I don't know how I would have done it. Like, you know, got it all done because mm-hmm. we all had kids too. Right. So we're all managing all the things. And I, and a few, a few partners stayed on, um, you know, with their full-time jobs for quite some time as well. Like we all know about that, right. You're doing your full-time job, raising your family and doing your side hustle because even through COVID, 60% of women took up a side hustle. So we all know wow. a, a lot of us do know about the side hustle. So Mabel's was a side hustle. And, and it, it's funny because often when we're asked, you know, when did we feel like we arrived or that we were going to make it? And it was when the last partner quit their day job and we're like, okay, we can pull enough salary that we can all quit our jobs. That is amazing. That really is an accomplishment. Uh, so you were growing and everything was um, kind of, moving along. So what was the hardest next step besides startup? Because there's always right. a new challenge with each, with each bubble, right? Yeah. Look, and that's the thing, you know, and I, okay. So we started in my sister's basement, making labels till 2am, you know, twice a week. Yeah, and I can wow. remember then I was pregnant with my fourth kid and, and those were hard times. I mean, I was making labels till two in the morning, then getting home and getting up at six with the kids and kind of doing a full day and then, you know, getting them to bed and getting back on the laptop and, you know, just that real, um, real hustle. Sometimes I do look back and wonder how the heck do we do it? I think we all have that moment, but I think when you're, you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. So then we, then we outgrew my sister's grungy basement and we said, okay, we need, we need a bigger workspace. So rather than get, getting a production facility in a commercial space, we told my sister to buy a bigger house with a bigger basement. She did. <laughs> <laughs> so off we went to the bigger basement. We thought we'd be at the bigger basement for, we thought we'd last for five years. We lasted two. And then we are where we, so in about 2000, geez, I'm going to say seven. Would it have been that? Eight, like a long time ago. We moved into the facility we're in now, which is a 14,000 square foot facility. And, and it houses our, about production team. So all of our equipment is there. We're making the labels on site in Hamilton, Ontario. We've got our uh, finance team, our customer service, our marketing, everybody kind of lives lives there. If they're not working from home, that's our Mabel's HQ. And we have over 40 uh, full-time employees. And of course, summertime, that swells right up because we have all sorts of students working with us because our back to school season is pretty, pretty busy. Wow. So that's how, uh, now, as far as the biggest challenges, you, you made a point there, which is every time you grow, the thing is you think you know what you're doing and then you experience growth and it's that whole new level, new devil, right? Like then you have to learn all new skill sets. I remember at one point us saying, Hey, do you know anything about HR? Nope. Do you know anything about HR? Okay. We got to learn something about HR because now we have eight <laughs> people or now we have 10 people. Um, so it was constantly, it was constantly adapting. And, and I always say it's that getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, because as soon as you are comfortable, there's going to be a shift, there's going to be a change. So you better be ready for it. And, and I will say though, I think people with that sort of entrepreneurial spirit, that's kind of the sport of it, right? Like that's kind of the fun and the, the games and the thing that keeps everybody on edge and, and, uh, and innovative and that sort of thing. So yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the constant change is something that I think people who don't have the nature for it would find very challenging. 
That is very true. I once had a mentor tell me that being an entrepreneur is to be an agent of change. And I thought, oh, that's very ah, true. Lovely. Very true. Yeah. You know, I always think back in our own companies, that moment where you do sign the lease or purchase the building for that next big step, especially in the manufacturing side of things. Do you remember that moment where you're like, oh my gosh. Like- yeah. And look, we were obviously by making my sister buy a bigger house with a bigger basement, we were a little bit hesitant. I um. And I, and I think it was, we were just so focused on getting our product out there and label making that we didn't want any distractions because we just wanted customers and we were putting all of our time into just going and getting customers and, and being out there and marketing the heck out of it. And, you know, there is something to be said for, we did rent, like we've got a, we never bought a building. And the reason why we ended up I had a little problem with that because I'm one of these, like, I'm like, rent is dead money. You know, I was raised by two teachers who were very financially, like, sensible because they knew what their salaries were for their entire, like, other lives. So they were very good financial planners. And so they were very practical. And um, so I was like, oh, we don't rent. That's dead money. We buy. But then we realized if we bought a building, then we're worrying about shoveling snow and changing light bulbs and like all that thing. And what that can do is distract you from what your job is, which is making the labels and getting the labels out the door. So in the end, we made the right decision. And you see this often with people who have businesses. It's very hard. I call it the um, ADOS, the attention deficit, ooh, shiny. Like it's hard not to get distracted <laughs> by, you know, we want to make other things or, oh, we could do this. But really just sticking with what you're good at and being the best at it has been our kind of secret sauce. And so what were the most successful forms of marketing in that at that stage that worked for you? Right. Okay. So you have to remember when we started you know, our, our website went live 18 years ago. And back then people were still a little bit funky about putting their visas into the machine. Right. And, mm. and we, but we didn't really understand. We really understood our market, like I said earlier, and that uh, moms are all word of mouth, you know? So moms were talking about our product, you know, at the school drop off and it's daycare and, you know, at that, at the camp information sessions or the side of the football field, or they were talking about Mabel's labels and, we got a couple of nice, really nice PR hits, early PR hits in some magazines and on a Daily Candy, which was a, a website up out of California. One of our customers had submitted us. We didn't even know. And then, you know, we had that moment of, you know, we log in. It's like all these orders were like, what is Daily Candy Kids? Where are all these orders coming from? But then social media hit. And for us, that was golden because... What it did was it brought word of mouth online. It was a vehicle for word of mouth for moms. So suddenly, you know, mom bloggers are like doing reviews of our product and we're doing giveaways with them and Facebook people, moms are talking about us on their Facebook groups. And now it's like Insta reels and well, the whole point about influencer marketing, right? Like people Mm -hmm. trust their influencers, particularly moms. So we got on board and created a really strong Mabel's Labels community. I've been blogging for, oh gosh, 15 years. And, you know, we, we, have over 200,000 Facebook fans, 100,000 Instagram followers, a a vibrant blogging community. And because we always want to provide community, that's what moms want from their brands. 
Hmm. So, and we've just been very authentic and very true. And we've always stuck to our core values. And that has really resonated with our customers who are moms. And they do demand that of their brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things have really changed in the last 20 years for oh, yeah. oh, so oh, many yeah. In so many ways. Um, Okay, so give us a snapshot of Mabel's Labels right now. And then also uh, your role in Mabel's Labels and how that has evolved. Right, right. So Mabel's Labels right now, um, like I said, it is very hectic. Those machines are going constantly. We're getting our, I mean, back to school is our busiest time. Uh, of the year, followed by camp season is also quite hectic. But yeah, it, it's going really well. We do, um, you know, we do, we're very profitable. We have a very vibrant community. We have very loyal customers. And it's just been really a wild ride. I'm still involved. We sold five years ago to Avery, which is owned by CCL, but it's still same old Mabel's Labels. We're in our same location, same staff, same brand, same everything. I'm still there and I'm working as their senior director for public relations. So, you know, I just still do my thing, which is connecting with moms and and uh, doing media and speaking engagements and podcast interviews and doing all the <laughs> stuff that that I love doing and getting the Mabel, Mabel message out there. It's one of the things that I just find super inspiring is you took your passion and you created a product and a company that was profitable. You're making impact. And then you were, you also chose to sell it, you know, and that's an interesting process. I can only imagine for um, how many different levels. How was that for you? I mean, you put your heart and soul into something for so long. Was it difficult? Was it easy? Give us the scoop. (laughs) <laughs> so look, yeah, the whole um, prepared to sell your business. We were we got reached out to about it, and we people had reached out to us before, and we we're like, no, 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 we're not ready. We were at that point about fourteen years in, and um, you know we we're still the four co-founders were running it. Um, kind of as co-CEOs, it was getting a little bit cumbersome. We're like, we need to go to next level. What is, what do we want that to be? And, um, and then we're approached, we're like, maybe this isn't a bad idea. You know, we've been at it a while. We've, you know, you start it, you grow it, you know, you scale and exit. Sounds like a pretty good plan. I mean, we weren't running the business to leave it to our kids as a legacy business. So a few things we had to make sure of was obviously, you know, make sure you're going to go through due diligence. You want to make sure all of your paperwork is in order. You want to make sure the price is right. You want to make sure they're going to carry through like with your brand promise. We definitely, you know, that was really important to us, making sure that, you know, our employees were comfortable and that, and that it was going to be a, a good transition. A lot of um, founder leaders leave and the other three did leave. I was written in for a year. And then after that year, I was like, I'm still liking it. They're like, we're still liking you. So I've stuck around one other state as well. And she was the GM up until about two years ago, I think, um, I'll be left. And, um, and Karma's our GM now, which is amazing because she is somebody who literally in 2009, we hired on a contract to do um, a marketing project for us. And so, and she's been with us ever since and she's climbed through the ranks. And now I report to her and I love that. I love that we've created jobs, particularly for women and we've seen them grow. You know, we've had people who started in production and then ended up being leads and managers and that sort of thing. So that feels really awesome as well. So the, yeah, so the selling for us was great. Um, uh, you know, you got to make sure the price is right for us, particularly with four of us. We don't want to give all of our um, hard work away. There's a lot of sweat equity there and a lot of investment. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it was a, it was, it was a fairly smooth process for us. We started talking in July and we, and we closed uh, end of December, which is actually very, very fast. I would warn people, if you're thinking about selling, there is a lot of prep to do. Even personally, you want to make sure that you set up a holding company. You want to make sure you set up trust funds for your kids so that you have places to put your money in tax effective ways. And yeah, there's, there, there's lots, there's lots to consider. And Many, many, many companies have been left at the altar. So it is not over until that money is in the bank and, and, it, and the deal has gone through. Wow. Well, congratulations on all that kind of success. And of course, you have been through quite the journey in the last 20 plus years and you've written a book. Uh, what's the name of the book? Where can people find it? And what can we expect? Right. So the book is called Like a Mother, Birthing Businesses, Babies, and a Life Beyond Labels. I love and that. it can be found on Amazon or go to Indigo's website, Barnes & Noble, all the usual, you know, your favorite booksellers. And it is jam-packed with life lessons, business lessons, parenting hacks, uh, kind of that whole managing the mother load, um, full of real stories, of course, with some humor. Uh, you can certainly hear my voice in it. Uh, so it's 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 been a lot of fun. And that was my, you know, when when, COVID, when things shut down with COVID, I usually do a lot of traveling, a lot of speaking at events and conferences. And so when we were grounded and couldn't go anywhere, I thought maybe this is the time. It's been on my agenda for many years to write this book. So the timing was perfect. and uh, And that's what came out of COVID for me. Wow. So you just sat down and wrote it and did you do yeah. some time blocking for that? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. It was, that's, that's a whole other process too. That I could, I do a whole, I could do a whole podcast with you on the process of writing the book. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, uh, I, I joked actually at one point because I was, I was going to the cottage to like just buckle down for about a week and get some stuff done. And I, I joked on my Facebook page that I needed like Annie Wilkes for misery to come and hobble me so that I couldn't get off my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Done. Yeah. But you know, it's funny when you think, you know, when I think about passion and mm -hmm. kind of the, the stuff that you folks talk about there and, you know, I think it's really important also that women, you know, women in leadership are also far more philanthropic than men and women owned businesses do more giving. And again, coming from that position of being able to create a culture, you know, we have a community relations committee at Mabel's Labels where we, you know, volunteer and we do give. And, you know, for me to be, you know, the, the spokesperson of that company, like I was just the community leader for the St. Joe's, um, run for women, which is, you know, raising money for women's mental health. And of course, you know, postnatal care is so, and, and post, you know, is so, so important to us at Mabel's Labels. So it's been really amazing to be involved in so many community things and for our company to be represented on that level. Um, it's been just, that's, that really fills my cup. Oh, that is amazing. So if you wouldn't mind, share the name of the book one more time. The book is called Like a Mother, Birthing Businesses, Babies, and a Life beyond labels. Perfect. So Julie yeah. Cole available I'll online the link in the show notes or something. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. And uh, it's on audible as well. Cause I, you said, you, you know what? It. I have to record it. I've, been, okay. de I've yeah. been delaying. Um, I gotta do that. You know what? It's killing me. The thought of reading my old book out loud is I just, I can't procrastinate enough on that, but I know I've got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love being able to hear the author's words. I know. Voice. It's great. I know. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'll tell you what, when you're done writing a book, you really don't want to look at it again. <laughs> I, like, can, I, I can't look at my words one more time. 
How? What torture? Well, when it <laughs> yeah. is, yeah, when it's on Audible, you let me know and I'll reshare it. Okay. I'll reshare it. So five words that describe you uh, is real mama, entrepreneur, authentic, supportive. Um, I'm, you know, I can get a sense of those just from our conversations or brief conversations. Now, when you were growing the company, you know, one of the things I think is very challenging on the woman's side of things, I mean, I'm sure men have challenges around this too, but speaking from my own personal experience of growing a vision, growing and being an entrepreneur, is sometimes our mindsets can get in our own way and the stories that we create about the expectations we have of ourselves, right? So I can think of examples in my own life where I'm like, well, I should be there for that. And and I, um, you know, having to rely on my partner or other people to help manage the kids or the family, And in reality, they're like, go, do it. (laughs) So I'm making it actually harder for myself. Did you run into any of those kind of mindsets? Um, I think, yeah, I had a few good little hacks that kind of got me through. Um, A few things uh, that, you know, that I do. I, I, I think we do also have to honor for a moment that, really the the um and we just know this statistically that women are still carrying the load in the household over parenting and like domestic duties i mean i wish households were run more democratically and we are making changes and it's getting there but the reality is that women are still carrying the load um and and that's that is really tough a few things that i implemented that really helped me um i gave up mom guilt about four kids ago probably five uh, I don't, I just don't, I just don't, I can't, I don't have the capacity for it. Uh, it interferes with my productivity and I have to get a lot done in a day. If I make a mistake, um, or if I've done something wrong, I apologize. I learn from it and I move on. Um, same with work. I left my, I leave my ego at the door. And if I get something wrong or if I make a mistake or if I've handled something incorrectly and I'm like, I'm not proud of it, then I talk about it and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do better. There's no shame in my game. Like that's, that's how that is. And the bonus to kind of living that way is that your kids also live that way. Then like my kids don't lie to me. They don't hide mistakes. They don't, because there's like, that's what happens. We make mistakes, you know, like that's, Mm -hmm. that's all right. It's like what we're going to do about it. So that is one thing I, um, I really, you know, I often say don't cling to a mistake because you've spent a long time making it. Um, I I learned that lesson when we hired, we had an employee once that we held on to for too long. And, um, I think what happens is that we, we tend to like, when we invest in something, we just tend to keep investing in it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's okay to be like, you know what, I know I put this much into it, but now it's time to let it go. And we kept trying to fix the problem with that employee and it wasn't really fixable. And it probably cost us a lot of time, energy and money by holding on to them for too long. So we learned, you know, you hire slow, mm-hmm. fire fast, hire to your core values. Um, and yeah, don't cling to a mistake. And I really try not to compare myself to others. I, um, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. I think in this, these times where we're all, you know, seeing what everybody's doing on social media, we have to remind ourselves that we're seeing what they want us to see, right? So there's no perfect life. There's no perfect partner. There's no perfect business or child. What you're seeing, um, is, is the, the highlight reel. So you know, try not to, um, try not to compare yourself to others. Uh, and yeah, I just, to me, it's my journey. I own it. Um, 
having it all to me is having what I want. It's not what maybe society projects on me. What is having it all? Is it two kids, a white picket fence, a perfect spouse, going to yoga, wine nights, great sex life? I don't know what it all means. I feel like it's a very gendered concept that gets pushed on women more than men. So to me, having it all is having six kids, having a kid with autism, making labels in a basement, not having any me time. You know, if you need my me time, take it. But don't start a business and have six kids because that ain't happening. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, just knowing what your capacity is and what your capability is and owning it and, and it's okay. One of the things I have definitely found is over the years, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure how many years it takes for an evolving shift to happen. I'm sure it's variable, but over the your years, have you had any like profound or more impactful shifts of how you see yourself as a person, almost having to step outside the box that maybe you've put yourself in? I think that's often that can happen as, as entrepreneurs and, and parents and whatnot. Has it ever happened to you? You know what? I don't feel like that's entirely relatable to me. I feel like I've always kind of been the same. And, you know, it's funny because people say that, you know, what would you tell your younger self? Like, you know, when you're a teenager, I'm like, ah, you're fine. Just keep going. Like there's no big, <laughs> there was no big shift or no big alteration. Um, but I do think, I think this is a good question because I think a lot of people in my position and a lot of people who are, you know, women entrepreneurs, whatever, I, I struggle with this imposter syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not really something I've struggled with, to be honest, because I think, why not me? And, you know, I think more women have to do that. Like, what you do, why, why do you think that you're faking it till you make it? Like, everybody fakes it till they make it. And then, like, yeah, that's okay. That's, that's part of it. You just keep going and, and working and, um, and yeah, you deserve it as much as anyone else. I, I think the other thing sometimes people get wrong too is this whole, I do feel like the concept of entrepreneurship gets very romanticized. You know, they think, oh, I'm gonna write the book, I'm gonna do the TED talk, I'm gonna make a bazillion dollars. And you know, it's important to remember that when that stuff happens, if that stuff happens, usually you've been in line for like, hello, 20 years. And really what entrepreneurship, it looks like mostly is making labels in the basement till 2 a.m. <laughs> Would you agree? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that insight. It's almost like giving you, you sharing that as part of your journey gives people permission to let go of the idea that they have imposter syndrome. And it's, yeah. it is a real thing, but it I perhaps- I say, it's a, it, it, you know what I mean? it does feel so like women, like you don't, hear men saying they fake it. And it's that whole thing. Like, you know, when you know the story of, uh, there'll be a job posting and there'll be 10 requirements and a guy will fill like three of them and say, Ooh, I'm going to apply because I'm a shoe win. And mm -hmm. a woman will have eight of them and say, I'm not going to apply because I'm missing two. Right. You know? Really so true. like, that's yeah. the same with the imposter syndrome. Why aren't the guys having this? Like, this is like, no, I'm saying no. No, we're not doing this, ladies. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, that, that is powerful stuff. And I, and I really truly believe in, in my coaching practice that a lot of people just need to give themselves permission to change their mindset. Like, oh, I, agree. I can I do agree. that. But you, often we can't be it till we see it. It takes that awareness. So seeing it in you helps other people to be it. And that is powerful. So thank you for that. And Trisha, you know what? I think you make a really good point there too. And that, that you talk to your clients about this because keep in mind too, there were four of us. If you're a solo entrepreneur, 
that can be very lonely, especially in those days where there were no Facebook groups, no LinkedIn groups, there was nothing. So unless you were attending a bunch of networking events and, you know, it was, it could be really lonely. And what happens when you're alone in your ideas and in your head, you can turn things into a big deal that might not necessarily be a big deal. So at least for me with the three other partners, we could like, you know, how are you feeling about this? Well, I'm feeling this. They'd be like, don't be ridiculous. Look, this is how that's going to work. It's like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought of that. So I think, you know, when you get in your head, um, as a solo entrepreneur, it's really important. Your network is your net worth. Get yourself a coach, you know, get yourself a mentor, get yourself a therapist, get yourself all three, you know, yeah. do, do all the talking. Your network is your net worth because I do think particularly for those solo entrepreneurs, you can get things in your head and make them a big deal and they might not, they just might not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're great storytellers for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. And our brains can lie to us. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've experienced that firsthand. Uh-huh. It's powerful. <laughs> um, and that's a really good point. You're right. You had, there was four of you and that's just kind of takes the pressure off and you can really bounce and vet ideas and, For sure. and that's fantastic. That was a bit of a gift. I'm sure it was challenging at times, but also a gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was. <laughs> that's yeah. a different podcast. Uh, you know, because everybody's got different communication styles, but we got it wrong sometimes. We learned from it and then we would, you know, do personality testing. We'd get a coach in to get us through tough times. So we, you know, mm. we tried to stay in front of it, but you know, it's like being like, I spent more time with these girls than like, you know, most people would with a spouse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. So when you were growing your company up to this point now and with, with the amount of people on your team, you know, and you're obviously um, mom-centered or parent-centered company, how did you help your people to focus on growth and that work-life balance or synergy? Was there certain policies you did in company or how did you- For sure. Um, yeah. How did you grow that culture? So we focus on results. You know, we care more about results. Nobody in our company would have to fake that you're sick or go to the dentist because they want to go to the kid's Christmas concert. Mm-hmm. Now, if they want to go to their kid's Christmas concert, we're like, tell us about it the next day. Like, they'll do posts about it. Like, they don't have to minimize their screens if they're on Facebook. Like, if they're getting their work done- that's the important thing. We try to provide what would be a sludge-free environment. So the thing with presenteeism, when you have a company that focuses on that, you get this thing called sludge and it comes from Rail, which is a results-only work environment, part of the work that they do. Um, and we don't run a formal results-only work environment, but we loosely have always kind of been this way. And so a sludge, an example of sludge would be this. So say I get up in the morning, I get myself showered and dressed for work. Then I got to get, you know, the one kid dropped off at kindy and the other kid dropped off at daycare. So I'm driving the kid to daycare. The kid vomits everywhere. I have to go get the kid changed, showered, whatever. See, hopefully if my mom can take the kid for the day. So say I get to the office at 930 instead of nine. And then you walk in and your coworkers say, hey, nice of you to join us. That is sludge. That sort of stuff brings you down. And that is not the kind of work environment we want. We want to be able to be like, you know what? Why don't you just work from home today? Or, you know, let's reschedule that meeting or, or like we can find solutions to this, you know? Um, But we just don't want to create an environment that is so like, it just feels super patriarchal. And we know as business owners that we were able to be highly productive 
we built a company during nap times and play dates. You know, we did, I changed mm. diapers and changed the world at the exact same time and did business plans while we were at the, you know, at the playground. So we know that people can be productive and we've just found if you treat adults like adults, they act like adults. And the thing is, it's actually lazy management just to be like, well, they're here every day getting their stuff done. You know, mums in seats doesn't mean they're ma- they're reaching their goals. I would rather be goal focused um, than just having a bunch of people turn up and 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 be have that just that presenteeism. Mm-hmm. When just as an example, uh, in your leadership with your team members, how often would you meet to have one on ones or check ins? Um, do we need policies or kind so, of yeah, managers ways around meet, that? Um, yeah, managers meet one have one on ones every week. Okay, with uh, with each team member. Yep, and then there's like we always have teams going. Like there's always communication, and there's you know it's it's pretty open. Um, you know, and somebody if they can't be reached on teams, they just say that they're not available till a certain time, and you know it it, it just seems it it seems to work. That's and you know, it's, it, and people don't even, yeah, honestly, people want to work and you know what else, you know, what else happens if you like, so for us also, we have a profit sharing plan. So if, you know, if the company's making money, everybody's making money and that inspires, you know, the person who's making the labels to make sure that the quality is great. And it makes, makes the person who's a customer service, make sure that they're making the customer so happy. And it makes the IT people want to make sure our website is highly functional and, you know, and get, we get our labels out the door. So everybody wants to be involved in making the company successful because they also reap the benefits. And the other thing, which is so important, and it's very hard for entrepreneurs. I know this because of business owners and we we had this problem too is that when you hire managers it's very difficult not to micromanage them because you have your way of doing things and entrepreneurs can be control freaks but you have to let the managers manage and let them make mistakes and let them do things their way because otherwise you won't retain them and if you're spending all your time working in the business you're not spending your time on the business so the business will not grow and if you give them the freedom to make decisions they will be more entrepreneurial in their jobs, which means they will be more innovative and you will be more successful in your bottom line and everybody will be happier. It's a win-win. Oh, I love that. There's so many good nuggets in there. So I'm going to have to take that out. I can talk forever. <laughs> I, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. So Julie, what's next for you? What's coming up in the next five years? Oh, there's a million dollar question. Huh? I don't know. So right now, of course, I'm just doing all the PR around this book. Travel is now kicked up again. The calendar's filling up with things, which is exciting. It's great to be hitting the road again. But for now, I'm just loving being at Mabel's. We're rolling out some great new products. The team is highly effective. I'm just, this management team, I've never seen anything like it. It's just incredible. So just, you know, um, carrying on as we are and, uh, you know, doing the do and hopefully, you know, raising these kids to be decent, half decent humans. As I said, three of them are at university, three are at home, but I've got one going to grade 12, one going to grade 11. So I'll have another couple out the door and uh, one going to grade eight. So it's, it's, it's really fun ages too. And I will say for the people who are listening, 
with little ones, um, it does get easier. When they say bigger kids, bigger problems, like, okay, that's not been my, I find this really easy. <laughs> mm, it does so shifts and changes in oh, good they're ways. They're so good. They're so much fun. Mm. They're so smart. And they have such engaging conversations. And ah, yeah, I just think, and then all their friends are, maybe you might find this too when you have four kids, like when you have the big family and like it's kind of the house where people come and there's mm -hmm. lots of excitement and fun to be had. So I love it. I love a busy house. Mm, I love your energy and your spirit. It's amazing. Okay, one final question. And again, thank you for all your wisdom. Um, but how about this one? I'd like to end off on this one. What is the best wisdom that you have ever received? Oh, I've received a lot. But maybe I'll give one of my grandma my grandma isms. My grandma died a few years ago at 101. Like she was wow. a smart old Irish dame. She was one of 21 kids. My great grandma, they moved to Canada in 1950. And she was very smart. She was a good mother, but she also, I think, like understood that sometimes we need a little more stimulation. She was very proud of us for starting Mabel's Labels when we won Women Entrepreneur of Canada Award. You can bet she was in that limo on her way to the Fairmont for the awards ceremony. And I think she, she used to say to us as a way to keep us very humble, but also lift us up. And she would say, Julie, you're as good as the rest of them and better than none. Wow. And I think that that is, uh, it's a great way to live. Well, on that inspiring grandma note, um, <laughs> thank you for being here on Passion for Impact, for sharing your story, your wisdom, your energy, your time. And I cannot wait to uh, dig into your book. I'm going to get yeah. into that. And you let me know when it's on Audible as well. Yeah. Usually what I have time for. Yeah. And um, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Thank you for well, being here. Thank you so much for having me. And obviously, if anyone wants to find me, you can go to mabelslabels.com slash Julie Cole. And I'm on the usual spots like Instagram and Facebook and all the places. So easy enough to find. So I'd love to connect with any anyone out there listening. I love it. Follow Julie. Yay! You'll be so happy you did. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Take care. Thank you. Passion for Impact is sponsored by the Inspire Store. Need a gift that inspires? Inspire Store features exclusive ethically made goods and jewelry that embodies these three words. Yes, you can. Every purchase supports Food Banks Canada. Plus, you will receive Trisha Miltimore's popular personal development Shift Up e-course. Empowerment awaits you. Shop with impact at inspirestore.org. If you love learning how to live and lead in a caring and fulfilling way, and you find this show inspiring, please share with your friends, rate and review this podcast. Passion for Impact, it's brought to you by Rock Your Leadership. We train leaders on how to grow success, drive change and not burn out. Visit passionigniter.ca for more details. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Passion for Impact podcast. Visit passionigniter.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe for episode notes, links and special offers from show guests. Cast your vote. Make your impact. One socially conscious choice at a time.